Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome on to a special preview of Dunked On Prime. We're doing this all week before the season starts, catching you up on many of the season previews that we've done on Dunked On Prime. And the hope, of course, is that you will subscribe for this season. We are offering not the best deal ever because that was for founding members, but the second best deal ever for a one-year membership for Dunked On Prime total access. That includes access to our discords, our chats, the same cap sheets and free agent lists that Danny and I use, which are updated in real time during transaction periods and a bunch of other odds and ends as well. In addition to at least four and recently more subscription podcast episodes per week and the fifth Dunton episode commercial free as well. So I encourage you to give it a shot. This special deal is going to end when the season begins. So check it out. If you sign up for a year membership, you can get 35% off the monthly price for Dunkdon Prime Total Access. Enjoy the show. All right, this is why you are paying for Dunked On Prime, because we've got an immediate reaction to possibly the biggest news story transactionally in the NBA since the summer of 2019, and maybe the biggest news story already for the summer of 2021, that Giannis Antetokounmpo has signed the Supermax. It will be for five years, $228 million dollars. That will be a player option in the final season uh, when he would be making $52 million in the 25-26 season. And so he now cannot be traded for one year after signing this. So there was some talk about maybe he agreed that with them that they would trade him if it wasn't working out. So it would have to be like right before the start of next season, basically. You know, it's not going to technically be a year, but it'll be whatever the league equivalent date is probably uh, for next year. So right before the start of next season. What do you think, Ben? You you brought up the biggest news since, since 2019. I go back to a single date, and that is July 4th, 2016. And this is to me the biggest news since then and arguably bigger than that. I don't think it is because of what Kevin Durant meant for the title picture of the Warriors and the Thunder, but this is a comparable event. And the reason why is because Giannis Antetokounmpo is the two-time reigning regular season MVP, and he would have been entering, you know, like would have entered free agency without this agreement in the prime, and there were teams that had legitimate title aspirations, even arguably without him, that were saving their space and now are not saving their space for Giannis in all likelihood. So it is an earthquake. And it, usually that has been a player changing teams. In this case, that is a player staying where he is. 
Yeah, I might say that LeBron going to the Lakers, AD going to the Lakers, and Kawhi going to the Clippers are arguably as big as this, if not bigger, because the Lakers have already won a championship. Yeah, I guess, I guess you could argue with LeBron. LeBron, you certainly could argue because they won a championship, but the, one of the differences was that there was it kind of felt like that was more likely in some ways. Yeah. than And, and he's, he was older, too. You know, there wasn't as much of a window, obviously. Right. But LeBron is also still better than Giannis even now. You know, Giannis is not necessarily, I think, Kawhi in 20. 19 lebron and i mean you could make the argument that ad is better than Giannis right now too but anyway that's that's semantics let's talk more uh, about what this means now uh for the bucks uh, going forward here yeah so i mean we don't know the we know the preliminary terms of this extension adding five years and my you know using the official cap estimate that's out there five years 228.2 million and then that will change based on what the 2021 slash 22 cap ends up becoming and with Chris Middleton already on the books and Brooke Lopez and then Drew Holiday has a player option, which now I expect that he will get a lucrative deal in Milwaukee, likely coming in the summer of 21. Uh, the, I fully expect that the Bucks will pay the tax in 21-22, assuming ownership is on board and they damn well better be um, on board with that. And then depending on how all this works out, probably for another couple of years in the future, I think that's the well, way. Well, that can we talk about that, though, uh, like to really get into the numbers, because Okay, the Bucks. Yes, they they've been loaded to pay the tax. They paid it this year. They're gonna pay like you know they're gonna be like three million max into the tax because of the unlikely incentives for Drew Holiday and being hard well. Back. And they could very easily duck it if they move somebody like DJ Wilson or something. Like I, it wouldn't stun me to see the Bucks do that. So without Drew Holiday on the books, the Milwaukee Bucks are already about ten million dollars over the cap next year. Middleton making thirty five point five, Giannis making thirty nine. Obviously, if they lose Drew Holiday, that's a complete disaster. They can't replace him. They have to pay him, basically. Clearly, that move of giving up four unprotected picks in the future for Holiday was not done without the understanding that they could bring it back. 31 years old, though, for, for Drew Holiday. There's no way I will be very conservative here and say that he gets a contract that starts at about what he would have gotten before his player option, which would have been $27 million. So throw that in there. You got 10 players under contract now. Maybe you can eliminate Bobby Portis there and his player option if he opts out. I don't know if he's going to. So nine players under contract, you're already over the apron. So any kind of side and trade possibilities are are pretty much eliminated. But moreover, I mean, even just to fill out a team to get to 14, 15 players, now this team is basically $15 million into the tax. Like, are they really going to pay that? Are they really going to pay that? It's an excellent question, and when you consider that the Bucks are pretty asset poor, you know, this with all the all the first rounders and pick swaps that they've already conveyed, and they don't really have this collection of young guys. The only young guys they have that they like, they want to keep, you know, like DiVincenzo. Um, that that is a real challenge for Milwaukee is like how how far are they willing to go and for how many years? Because DiVincenzo, if if he ends up being this, the, he's the shooting guard of the present. If he's the shooting guard of the future, then he's going to get his raise in twenty two and. And then Brooke, we'll see what happens with Brooke. And like it is a it is a very real challenge for this Bucks team financially. And I have long said that you you do that you bite that bullet for a team that is a legit championship contender. And the Bucks just got Giannis to re-sign for 
the for the Supermax. So I think that they're in that conversation. But you bring up a great point. And then the other real challenge for Milwaukee when you think about this moving forward is they, especially on kind of the like the, the periphery of the core, those players are even, I mean, the core outside of Giannis, they're, they're aging and it will be hard to replace them. And that gets into what I thought was the really interesting question here, which is how, like kind of where are we putting the Milwaukee Bucks championships over under for from now until this Supermax extension ends? So let's say the 24-25 season, let's say Giannis opts out. So that's basically through his age, I believe that's the age 29 season. Um, what do you, what would you put the Bucks championship over under at? Oh, 0.5. And I mean, I, they're not going to be the favorite to me this year. And I think their odds are only going to get worse as time goes on. Holiday will be older. Middleton will be older. Brooke Lopez will be old, older. And, you know, as I mentioned last year, or, 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 or last year, wow, getting delirious here. Maybe last minute would be more appropriate. Uh, when I last spoke, <laughs> uh, you know, that's 15 million over the tax. That's if you just fill it out with minimums. So yep. to say nothing of using the mini mid level, and then when you go from fifteen to twenty, that's when you're getting up into you know that really high bracket of three point two five per dollar, uh, three hundred twenty five cents per dollar that you spend, and they have no draft picks basically left that they can trade at this point. I guess they could. Could they move a twenty twenty eight pick at? Let's see here. No, they can't even move a twenty twenty eight pick. Uh, this offseason because their 2027 first is already traded so they are just out of everything right now they really have no way to get better other than maybe just adding people through exceptions and i don't know if they have the financial wherewithal to do that maybe a trade of dj augustin and pat Connaughton and dante divincenzo will get you another really good player and then you you know maybe you can get something on the buyout market etc uh but that's they do not have a lot of ways to improve. So unless you see this as a championship core and a championship core for the next couple of years, yeah, you can't feel great about this. And now far be it for me to say that Giannis Antetokounmpo made the wrong decision. Like he did not make the wrong decision for him. I don't think he's talked eloquently about how he wants to be someone who stays with the team for his entire career, like Dirk or like Kobe Bryant or like Tim Duncan. And if that's what's important to him, then, you know, he clearly made the right decision. If he wants to get his money now, I completely understand that. If he wants to maximize his chances of winning this year with the Milwaukee Bucks and to eliminate distractions, I completely understand that. Uh, all of that, you know, he is a different different personality than a lot of these guys and i i find it refreshing in some ways but i also as someone who is a fan of the league and wants players to be in the best place with a good organization that is going to maximize them i am happy for bucks fans right now but i am somewhat sad for the league as a whole because i just don't i think that he is consigning himself to purgatory here in the end and maybe they win it this year and they prove me wrong but i just i'm very concerned about the long-term outlook for this group like you i'm i'm conflicted so the way that i would phrase it is and i wrote this publicly like this is not this is that i would not have advised Giannis to sign the supermax extension for not only the reasons you stated but also because it cedes so much control to the milwaukee bucks because now he is in the circumstance where he his future is tethered to this collection of pl players, which, as we talked about, is very difficult to change. And so I think that a player, max players using their agency to, you know, like using the power that they wield to put themselves in the best situation. Now, if he thought that he, that, that and as you said, like he can prioritize whatever the hell he wants. I'm just saying what my advice would have been and was. 
Um, he can do what he wants, and if and if this is what he wanted, I'm I'm happy for him unequivocally. But the the idea, like, and, th- and this has come out a fair amount of like, oh, it's good for the league, and I I think that the argument there is way more complicated, and it gets into this fascinating nuance that I don't think is discussed enough, which is that. Yes, it is It is good for small markets to maintain, it is encouraging for fans of those teams to say, hey, if we do things mostly right and we have a championship contending team around a player, that there is a chance that they're going to stick around. And and it is, that is encouraging. And I mean, there are various examples that you could use, but also remember that like Paul George's Pacers were not that level of team. Anthony Davis's Pelicans were not that level of team. You could make an argument that Kawhi Leonard, you know, Kawhi Leonard's Raptors were, but that was an entirely different situation because he had just gotten there a year before and everything else. Um, and obviously, like, LeBron James' Cavs at different moments were and were not. Um, but they were in the most recent vintage when he left. Um, sort of. But so I, I think that with the, the challenge, and so so you could say from that perspective, sure. However, we are going to see, even if the Bucks are more willing to spend than you and I anticipate, we're going to see the ripple effects of that. And if, if people remember, I invoked January 4th, 2016. You and I had a podcast then. And I had talked about the idea that I uh, that there, if Durant had re-signed with the Thunder, there was a distinct possibility that we were going to be having a conversation a few years from then of, is he the best player ever to never win a championship? And I'm a little bit more optimistic about the Bucks' chances than you, but not dramatically so, just because I think they have, you know, a, a, a fractional chance, a significant fractional chance each of the next few years. And so if you add those together and everything else, but still... And if Giannis, if the, he's cool with that, then there's yeah. nothing else I can say. Or Giannis himself could get better to really be the best playoff sure. player. Absolutely. In I the mean, NBA. he just turned 26. Like, and generally yeah. we think of a player's prime as being somewhere in the late 20s. And so if he can be better than he has been so far, then then that could be the player who elevates them. And, you know, the Bucks were, they were in contention this past year. They were the, by far the league's best regular season team. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's there. But it, you run into this, this situation where people say, oh, it's good for the NBA. It's like, well, it's good for the NBA if the league's best players are also on the league's best teams. Like that, or or ha- like that. That is what is good for the league. It is not good for the league for players to be at that cal- like to be not in that conversation. And what I I'm enthused to see the Bucks the next couple of years. I think that they will be a very good team. I think that they will be in contention. If not the like the top team, they'll be in the mix. What concerns me, and this is why I wrote that whole piece advocating for not Giannis not to do this, is three years from now, four years from now, and at that point, you know, the the team will have done whatever it is, and hopefully they've won a championship. Hopefully for the Bucks they've done that. But Lopez and Drew and Chris Middleton will all be aging out of their current level of play, and Giannis is still going to be there. Yeah. And they won't have replenished the stores because the Bucks just don't have the capacity to do that. And also, they haven't regularly made good moves on the margins. That could change, and I hope that it does. And that is that is why signing a long-term contract like this is a challenge. It's also why I want to see the league change the rules on Supermax, that you can only sign this if it's a, if it's a five-year, if it's adding five years to the deal, What maybe that year can be an option as it was here. And so at that juncture, you know, if we're, so let's say 2023, well then, then what is, what is going on here? And that is, that is a challenge. And Giannis signed up for that. And that is, maybe he's not thinking about that. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's not prioritizing it. Maybe he is. We don't know. And so he can do whatever, whatever he wants. And he clearly did. And that's great. But it is, I am like kind of sitting there lingering going, well, where, well, where, where are things going to be then? And I'm going to appreciate the ride until that point for damn sure. But it's a concern. 
So this obviously has massive ripple effects throughout the league oh, as yeah. well, which is part of why we're we're talking about it being so important. And so Paul George is now off the table. LeBron James is now off the table in what was supposed to be this halcyon summer of 2021. Kawhi Leonard, maybe he's on the table, but I my guess would be unless something just crazy happens with the Clippers this year. I mean, he wanted to be with the Clippers so badly. They can also sign him up to a 10 year or a uh, 35% max deal for five years this off season. So that that's, they'll have a massive advantage there financially as well. Anyone else can sign him to 35% max as well because he'll have 10 years of experience. But that fifth year, he's at an age 30 where that fifth year will probably matter to him. So who's left now? You know, if he's not realistically going to change teams, all of a sudden, maybe one of the biggest winners of this is someone who is on Giannis's own team because clearly with Drew Holiday, they have to re-sign him. All these teams, you've got Dallas, Toronto, and Miami as three big ones uh for example drew holiday might be the best star on the market at age 31 who might realistically change teams we'll see how victor oladipo does we'll see what happens with rudy gobert's extension the jazz any team that has a free agent that they didn't necessarily want to pay for next year the jazz are a loser in this uh, as well because i think you know gobert might be the best at age 29 he might be the best guy uh, available on the market like his market just went way up you would think you, you know, if you look at some of these teams it, it, Gobert would be a, a great fit in Toronto. I don't know about Dallas necessarily, but you know th- there are definitely more teams out there who are going to be suited for Rudy Gobert. But Holiday in particular now, A, the Bucks really have to keep him uh, because they have no way of getting better. If Giannis were going to leave, then Holiday might not have had a market in Milwaukee. And certainly you would think Miami, Dallas, Holiday would be an awesome fit. Toronto, all those teams will be in on Drew Holiday. He, if he stays healthy, he's going to just get absolutely massively paid you would think um i'm gonna add another winner here um and that is the houston rockets yes yes because it now becomes harder for these these teams that have lofty aspirations to add star talent through free agency now that that is largely the can is kicked down the road unless they can get Kawhi leonard or they see one of these other players maybe oladipo has a huge year or somebody like that Absent that, James Harden now becomes a way for a team to raise to to kind of raise their profile to ra- raise it. Now, you and I had an extended conversation recently about how my thought is that Harden is far more valuable as a floor raiser than as a ceiling raiser because the best teams don't need a player like him, but the worst teams most definitely do. And so, does Miami? rethink this process and or i mean maybe toronto or somebody else like do they do they reevaluate this situation now i think that dallas probably doesn't i think that harden just that would be kind of a square peg yeah but well dallas's problem is they don't have any assets also trade right like they are probably the biggest losers because i think uh toronto and certainly miami miami has enough young assets in particular where they can pivot to maybe getting out of the trade market i don't see what kind of a trade dallas can make they could throw in a couple of future firsts uh and you know unless someone like josh green hits or whatever i mean they're not going to trade the idea is that you're going to pair this guy with porzingis and luca you can't trade either of those guys so yeah where dallas gets this third star now that is very difficult to see another guy just briefly who could end up being a big winner here is spencer dinwiddie i think that he if he can raise all all these guys yeah yeah, but like dinwiddie in particular like i could see i could see the sales pitch there being pretty easy and so yeah and then and then so we can then shift to the losers and i think the other point and this is something you and i talked about a fair amount in offseason grades is the opportunity cost that these 
potential 2021 suitors took by basically punting on the 2020 offseason because they wanted to maintain space. And now there still are other ways that the team can use that to improve, whether that's an imbalanced trade or signing a free agent or something else. There are ways. But for example, the Toronto Raptors, now, if, if they if the, you had told them on November 1st that Giannis was going to was going to sign a Supermax was going to re-sign the Supermax I think they make a different offer to Serge Ibaka I think that they approach OG and an OB extensions which now that might happen who knows maybe an OG extension happens in the next couple days yeah um, they might want to get on that quick because I, I think he might blow up a little bit this year he, he absolutely might and so those and now the Heat probably regret the Bam Adebayo extension less because they're just it, it didn't cost them as much and yeah. so all of those teams were pretty cautious Dallas didn't they used their mid-level you know to re signed Trey Burke and Willie Cauley-Stein. They didn't go after a real difference maker. And that is a, a, a real a real loss for those teams now. And th- the th- incentive was worth it. You know, like the, even a faint chance of getting Giannis was especially like you could think about Dallas and Dallas and Miami here. Like that that faint chance is, is absolutely worth it. But now we're on the other side of that. And the timing of this is, for me is absolutely fascinating because Milwaukee, I, you know, you and I both were very negative about their offseason, you know, that it, it lowered their it lowered their title likelihood and and yes this takes out some of the downside risk a lot of the downside risk of the picks that they traded to New Orleans this does make me recalibrate that but Giannis waiting this long especially when it comes in the context of the Bucks offseason as it as it happened is fascinating because like was this a tactical move to have these to have these potential threats yeah if so he should have waited until next summer because I mean you could even have said if you wanted to you could even have said hey as of right now I plan to re-sign next summer you know you could even say something like that uh but yeah I mean it's particularly when this the Bucks are going to have to pay a massive luxury tax bill to bring back Drew Holiday that's a reason another reason I would have wanted to wait if I were him uh, as well um but you know I, again that's uh it, I'm not like criticizing his decision for himself. I guess we will see if the Bucks do, you know, end up cheaping out whether he did kind of get bamboozled on this thing or not. But um But he yeah, had all and, the information at his disposal. I think you know, Giannis signing this after is fast is fascinating because signing it before would have given the Bucks maybe license to handle this offseason differently. Now, handling it differently as it turned out, I think would have been better. But yeah. it, it could have just given them more leverage in the holiday talks even to have him under contract already to where they didn't have to give up quite as much entirely possible although i guess you know what though and man there's so many aspects of this now right like him not signing made that package look so much better to the pals it did but they also did give up a lot anyway yeah i mean it's still an insane amount and you know one of the picks is is two years after this ends and one of them is you know 2026 even 2025 you know that's that's the last year that he's under guaranteed contract here um and he could end up leaving who knows at that point we'll we'll see what happens but i because i of course have my doubts about whether they can get better around Giannis with this group but then you throw in also the aspect that you mentioned i mean miami had they could have had 25 million in space if they wanted to they could have stretched or moved kelly Olynyk. they could have gotten a mac deal what would miami look like if they had gotten gordon hayward this offseason you know i mean i think it's something you could say ah maybe that's a, a bad contract or if but, they had been willing to use the mid-level even over over yeah. three four seasons or, or or simply even retain jay crowder who was or Derek jones, Derek Jr., jones who were so good for them i think they clearly replaced those guys with inferior options hopefully it won't matter that much and maybe they would have wanted to keep their space open for someone like holiday or oladipo who supposedly wants to be there or any of those potential options as well but yeah i'm uh 
who knows how much like four-dimensional chess was played here it could just be fortuitous i would probably guess that but between Giannis and the bucks front office they clearly gained both in terms of making their draft picks look better in the holiday trade and also forestalling their competition for this year in the east by having him wait i don't know if that was coincidence or not but they definitely did gain you make a great point there and yeah, the ripple effects of this will be felt will be felt for a while because now the 2021 class is is a lot worse. And as you you brought up with LeBron and and PG and and Anthony Davis, because remember he could have signed a one plus one as well. Um, that that changes it now. The 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 upside in that class is is significantly diminished, and it could potentially create more leverage for the restricted free agents in that class. Um, I wrote about that at the Athletic, but. I don't think that it necessarily does because I don't think that the the top teams that we're discussing here are suitors. And so I'm fascinated. We brought a pardon, but what does the trade market look like now for for various players and and which ones are even, you know, like considered to be moving over the next couple of years? Wiz are another winner here too, just where uh, Bradley Beal is the next kind of white whale as well. If they do end up needing to move him, you imagine there will be even more suitors than there would have been. Yeah, but it is worth noting, uh, and uh, with the problem for the Rockets and the Wizards, is that those teams that are, you know, looking to add the final piece, unlike with the Lakers and Clippers a few years ago, they're not asset rich. And so you're you're kind of looking, you brought up white whales, now they're looking for the whale like that comes into the casino that has all the money. Like that's the problem is right now it's these teams that don't really have those resources. And so that is a, you know, maybe that changes, maybe some young players on those teams really impress or some other asset they have, or maybe a new team rises, like, I don't know, New Orleans or something like that. And they they have something else that interests teams. But it, it, it is going to be challenging to kind of figure out these waters and see how everything shakes out. And the, you know, I think they're, you know, it's looking like there's going to be this period of stability like that that the the best players have kind of they've all picked their spot and they're going to be there for a little while and some of them will do exceedingly well in their current locations some of them will not and so that might lead to some change but I mean looks like LeBron and AD and Giannis and Paul George and I'm guessing Kawhi and probably Steph Curry and a lot of these guys are going to be in the same place so Harden and a few others that's that's really where this is going to go and then the rising I guess some of who rises into that category but a lot of them are pretty stable too because if you're young enough then you're under team control like luca yeah all of a sudden this free agent class doesn't even look that much better now there's more depth certainly sure uh and particularly a point guard but it's uh this free agent class doesn't look that much better than the previous one that we had we'll close here i just want to take you through the overall setup here and you of course see this uh, on dunked on prime total access but the if you click on the nba tab in your spreadsheet that we email out ben will, ben will probably uh, do an update on that later today so you can take a look at what the bucks situation looks like going forward here but here are the teams that have over 20 million in space for next year that you know you realistically could probably figure your way into a max slot if you really needed to charlotte chicago cleveland dallas miami new york knicks have 72 million in space <laughs> okc 59 million san antonio 56 toronto it can probably get to a max space as well now some of these numbers are going to go down i would guess also another group that you can talk about potentially as winners here is restricted free agents next summer or of course rookies who are trying to, guys who are coming off rookie scale contracts are trying to negotiate extensions who would be restricted free agents next summer you like know, i think that Trent. that market and particularly with the number of bad teams that have space as well yeah you're gary Trent's of the world although he's already turned this down but he'll he'll 
they'll still you would think be a winner when there are more of these slots open um you, you mentioned og i mean i still think toronto will try to not extend him unless they he really gives them a deal um yeah there are a lot of uh duncan robinson huge winner right now i mean i certainly wouldn't take the extension from the heat he's going to get more than that you would think so there are uh just massive massive ripple effects from this and i'm sure we'll be talking about those for years to come quick break here to remind you that this is a free preview of dunked on prime and we are having a sale if you buy a yearly membership of dunked on prime total access you'll get access to our cap sheets our chats our free agent rankings and of course dunked on five days a week ad free and that is at 35 percent off the monthly price for dunked on prime total access or if you want give it a shot just with a monthly membership as well and see what you've been missing with dunked on prime we are better than ever we can react instantly we can do multiple episodes in a day if we want to because we're not beholden to advertisers any longer and also if financial circumstances are an issue for you we have a special deal for those in financial difficulty you can check out my pinned tweet at nate duncan nba click on that letter for more details on that now back to this free preview of dunked on prime all right welcome on to another season outlook this time the utah jazz with one david Locke. great to have you man how are you my friend uh what day is it what year is it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's been uh it's been a whirlwind uh, over the last month uh, or so um well you do an nba podcast and the nba is giving you plenty of content so you, you can't really complain about that no that's true i mean the opposite would certainly be uh a much greater predicament so uh yeah i am not complaining in the slightest uh but i'm i'll be ready for the season to start and only doing one podcast today that'll that will be that will be awesome but uh We've got a lot to talk about here with the Utah Jazz, so let's get right into it. And I think the place I want to start, because they have so much continuity, other than Derek Favors, is I think we can talk about you know where this team was in the regular season last year. They're going to bring the same top seven back, and then they add Derek Favors, and maybe we can talk about how Derek Favors fits into what this team was and hopefully improves this group based on what they were last year. So, I mean, what they did is a year ago they just made a tremendous pivot right they went from being a defensive-minded team and the offense just wasn't good enough to keep up with houston and golden state no matter how good a how good a defensive game they had uh which people really missed a few years back like when they played houston and golden state in the playoffs they actually had pretty good defensive games they held both those teams generally below their season average and then of what their efficiency was but their offense just wasn't good enough to catch up to that difference. So they, they made these pretty tremendous pivots, right? They took a offensive point guard in Mike Conley, replacing a defensive point guard in Ricky Rubio. They made an offensive change in Boyan Bogdanovich for Rudy Gobert. They they made an offensive change in George Niang for Jay Crowder. And they added Jordan Clarkson instead of Dante Exum. So they took four players that you would say are d- defensive-leaning and changed them to offensive-leaning players. And then from December 24th, to the start of the bubble, they were the number one offensive team in the league. So they they did what they intended. The defense, in turn, slipped to about 11th in the league, and it really slipped when Rudy Gobert was off the floor. Yeah, and so that, uh, in theory, is what uh, Derek Favors is there to alleviate. And the Jazz, obviously, you know, they had to make some moves to avoid the hard cap, and potentially we'll see the luxury tax to bring in Favors and to re-sign 
Jordan Clarkson as well. But is the thought that he's going to be exclusively a backup this year, or is it possible that he could start as he did all those years, at least in some matchups? Honestly, Nate, I don't know. Like, that's the first answer to this question, and I think it's going to evolve. And I think one of the really interesting things for this team is, like, the eight guys you've talked about are all pretty darn good, right? And, you know, I actually would say that the the eight lead guys on this roster probably are all about 30-minute-a-night players, if not Gobert and Donovan being more. Well, that's 240 minutes. You're done now. Well, you're not going to play an eight-man rotation, right? You're just not going to do that. Maybe you are in the playoffs. So it's going to be interesting to see how they play it. Is Derek? If Derek plays 24 minutes a night, then all of a sudden he's got to find a way to play 10 of those with Rudy. Um, that's somewhat contrary to where the game's going, but it has it was positive in the plus-minus category for three years in a row, uh, diminishing each year a little bit. But it did, you know, it was plus. So if it becomes a lineup that you use throughout the game and it's plus four instead of being plus eight, maybe that's okay. I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. They've never done it where it plays bench units, and maybe they'll play bench units. That would be that would be a little interesting too because most bench units go small. You know, and I think part of the reason why they thought this couldn't work together was it wasn't good enough offensively. Well, you are also were starting Ricky Rubio back then. As you mentioned, they now have more of an offensive – Point guard. Well, let me ask you that because I think that's really one of the huge questions is if you have a Mike Conley shooter on the floor and a Boyan Bogdanovich shooter on the floor and maybe a Joe Ingles, so you've got three of like the best, like say Donovan's taking his break right there, or you have Donovan, can you survive with better offensively? Do you think that, that swings it a little bit? It's. I think it's possible. And the other thing I'll say too is part of the reason I think that they're, they felt like that that couldn't work in the long term uh, and I don't believe that this is necessarily their best starting lineup and it's one that they should use all the time to be clear but you know the teams were Houston and Golden State that's who they're chasing and you weren't going to beat those teams with Derek Favors starting at the four you just simply weren't going to score enough to keep up with them and they were so three-point focused that Favors and Gobert particularly Golden State you just the advantage that that brings protecting the rim wasn't as much of an advantage as it might have been against other teams now though you're chasing after the LA Lakers. Well, they're going to start two bigs. Uh, you're chasing after the Denver Nuggets. They're going to start two bigs. You're chasing after Portland. They might start Zach Collins uh, at times. Uh, you know, you, you've got the Memphis Grizzlies in this conference. We're, we're chasing after Portland? Come on now. Well, all right, fine. <laughs> hey, well, Portland Portland has made a conference finals in the last few years. but uh, That is true. No, no, I, I, I shouldn't say that you're chasing after Portland. Uh, I think Denver, and, and uh, I mean, I don't know if you're chasing after Denver. We'll see. We'll see this year. The, the Lakers, I, I think that's certainly more legitimate. To no, say, and Dennis, so. and Dennis Lindsay's talked about that. And uh, Jazz general manager Dennis Lindsay's talked about that in all of the press conferences he's been a part of, where he's talked about that the Jazz played the Lakers in a game in Salt Lake City last year, and they just, they just were physically outmanned in that game. Uh, to the point in which you know they really kind of looked back at that as a as that the roster just wasn't big and wasn't strong enough to handle, and that they believed that so that is a large part of what they've talked about is the reason why they've done this. They lost that game one twenty one ninety six at home in December, and they just got whitewashed. The Lakers were up eight early; they're up eighteen by the half; they're up twenty by the time they started in the fourth quarter. It was just they just got blasted. Well, and now. 
a few differences though between when Derek Favors was here last. I mean, uh, number one, he kind of knows the deal at this point. I think you know he's played. He's gone to another team. He played center there. You know, I think he, perhaps he fancied himself as more of a natural power forward with the way the game has changed. I think there's there's a thought. Okay, well, hey, I, I'm a power forward. Uh, you know, I want to start at power forward, and now you know he also started at center for another team. And so coming back here, he made the decision to come back, and he knows that Boyan Bogdanovich was the starter at the four, and I would imagine that they certainly didn't guarantee him a starting spot. So I think part of why he was in the starting lineup was maybe just for emotional reasons and just also because they didn't have enough players at, at that point. I mean, they needed to get, uh, you know, 12 minutes a night with Gobert and Favors together because they just didn't have the guys, you know, George Yang wasn't as good back then. The depth was a little bit more limited. So I, I think that now having Favors come back, my guess would be that the Jazz signed him mostly so that you don't have those 10 to 15 minutes a game with Tony Bradley. And now they're going to have an awesome bench unit instead of that being a real problem. And then maybe if he's going to play with Gobert a little bit in certain matchups, they can do that too. That's kind of my thinking on what the acquisition is about. I mean, the team was really good last year, except for when Tony Bradley was on the floor, except for in place of Rudy Gobert, right? Like, let's just be honest. Like, that's that was a really big problem for them last year. They were in about the 12th percentile, maybe 16th percentile uh, overall when Tony Bradley was on the floor. And so they had to address that, that for you know, Tony Bradley developed nicely. He's a pretty good offensive player. They just never could figure out a way to use him defensively. And so when he we were in the 16th percentile overall defensively when he was on the floor, 115.6, they were minus 6.2 when Gobert was off the floor last year. Um, they were 21st percentile overall when Gobert was off the floor. They found lineups that worked late in the year. To the credit, the coaching staff, they kind of found this Clarkson, Ingles, Niang, Bradley lineup that worked. It didn't matter who was at the guard spot, and they were very successful. But there's no reason to believe that they won't be just as successful with that Clarkson, Ingles, Niang favors and whoever's at the guard position lineup. So where were these guys last year before Bogdanovich went down? Everyone knows what happened in that crazy series with Denver in the bubble. Denver was injured. So was Utah. You know, I'm a little bit skeptical of how much we can take from that series just because it was just a completely insane series with some of the offensive performance. I mean, there were more 50-point performances basically in that series than you had in any full playoffs <laughs> before that. It, it was unbelievable. And then, you know, so Mike Conley had to miss a couple of games as well. I mean, it was really just a totally insane series. So maybe the way that they played, particularly uh, some of their best units with Bogdanovich is more indicative. So what's the answer to that? How were they last year when they had some of their best groups on the floor? So my most honest answer to this is I don't know. And here's why I don't know. They were th thumping people right before the bubble. But the teams they were thumping were Washington, Cleveland, New York. They had a great win in Boston. They beat Detroit. They had gone five, they'd won five straight. Then they got beat by Toronto, who, you know, turned out to be pretty good. And then it stopped. And if you looked back up, there was, you know, there was a win streak in there when they, they looked really good. They won 10 in a row, but most of those were, you know, if you go back and look at that win streak, there was like a good win against Portland and a good win against the Clippers. Then most of them were against lesser teams. And they had a stretch of games coming 
which were going to be against some of the best defensive teams in the league. They had been the number one offensive team from December 24th to March 11th, even better than the historic Dallas team. And they had this stretch of games coming that were going to be against some of the elite defensive teams in the league. And you were going to find out what they could do. And we never found out. And they used the bubble in a way, in a different manner. They lost, I think, six of the eight in the bubble because they were trying to uh, maybe maybe it was five of the eight. to They used it to let their younger guys get some major minutes. And then they played that wacky playoff series. I left last year really not knowing. And, boy, how differently we would feel about them if, in fact, a, a single Mike Conley three at the end goes in, right? Like, it's sure. just – so I'm really left at the end of last year not knowing and um, pretty uncertain. There were yeah. stretches in the middle of the year where they lost five straight to Houston, San Antonio, Denver, Portland, and Denver, and I would have told you they were awful and had no chance after losing those five straight. And yet then they turned around and beat three of those teams in the Miami Heat back-to-back-to-back-to-back right afterwards, at which point I would have told you they were great. And then they went to All-Star <laughs> break and came out All-Star break, and they lost five, four, five straight, if I remember correctly. And you were like, oh, my gosh, they're terrible. And then they won five straight. So they were wacky, and, you know, they, they didn't have a consistent rhythm, and I never had a feel that the team cohesively kind of came together last year. Yeah, or how would you feel about them if they – just closed out the Denver Nuggets in five after absolutely destroying them in two of those games and, and having a, a plus point differential for the series. That, that's another question. So it, they, yeah. they didn't they didn't do it. So they don't. But if they're a hundred percent, if there had not been the boycott and the stoppage, they win that series, right? De- like that allowed Denver to regroup. Denver's credit. Give them all the credit in the world. Gary Harris that gave him enough time for Gary Harris to came back. He became. I'm not like they win that series if there's not the stoppage, and then we feel. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the Bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets 
from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code capspace using our capspace we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 dollars or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us so what are some of like the big questions that you're going to be monitoring for this team that you think are going to really determine you know whether this is i mean however you want to define success whether this is a successful season for the jazz or not so i'm probably going negative here just because these are the two things that like as a jazz announcer and as a jazz reporter and as a jazz fan i'm really interested in so one is this idea that favors comes back and we're going to be able to be an elite defensive team in those minutes where we were really pretty bad defensively with Tony Bradley on the floor. And the only thing that makes me kind of worry about that a little bit is if you go back and look at when favors was, and it doesn't make me worry. It just makes me, it's a question, right? To your point, it's a question, not a worry. Um, when favors was on the floor without Gobert, the jazz were in the 92nd percentile defensively two years ago. Okay. That's pretty awesome. Jay Crowder played like all of those minutes. Joe Ingles virtually played all of those minutes. Well, that's those are above average defensive players. Now that lineup is Niang and Clarkson and probably Ingles as well, and either Conley or Donovan. Can that group be as good defensively? Is Favors really the key, or was it Crowder, or was it better stoppage of the ball at the at the defensive end? I, I don't know the answer to that question and to me that's a little bit of kind of you know what i what i'm interested in finding out that would that would be the first one what's your thought on that so i i mean i think even when you look at joe ingles and Derek favorites i'm not sure that they are the same defenders that they were two years ago i know Derek's only 28 but he's definitely has had a a number of niggling injuries over the years he had a rough bubble though again i'm not going to put too much stock in you know the four games or whatever it was there and he still was a huge difference maker for new orleans defensively last year but i still you know i think he's not quite as good not quite as athletic as he was particularly moving his feet uh, on the perimeter if they want to go that route and joe ingles as well i thought he really had some struggles defensively where you know a couple years ago he could keep up with someone like chris paul okay and they couldn't put him on jamal murray for example in the bubble like he really was getting torched they had to try to find it another direction there so I, I i agree with you you know and then with niang out there you know he's a great shooter good team defender but is going to be a little slow you know they just overall this team doesn't have a ton of athleticism and in particular with that backup unit but i think that team could be really good offensively you know i think Derek favors as a, a screener as a role man could be a lot more than what tony bradley was giving and i think he's still better defensively than bradley and so i think they could be passable defensively with that group 
but they can continue to be pretty solid offensively and they just you know they can play the way that Quinn Snyder wants to play with the most pick and rolls in the league with a very solid roll man for 48 minutes and so just to have really if all eight of those guys are healthy no real holes in the rotation there's no Emmanuel Moutier George Yang is the ninth man instead of the, the seventh man at times uh I think that's really good I, I like the theory of bringing in favors so I, I think that bench unit is going to be solid if they start getting some injuries that could change and Derek is an injury risk uh, as well but uh I definitely like that group to be sure yeah, I mean, it's interesting. The backups, Favors as a backup center, like, there's going to be nights where you're going to thank goodness you have him in the sense that, like, the Clippers have two surprise, you know, the, the, for a league that's going away from centers, right? The Clippers have two pretty good centers. Jackson Hayes is okay. Uh, I, I like him. We'll, you know, see how he is maturity wise. Portland, as you mentioned, should have two. Ennis Kander's a good backup center, right? Like those Rashawn Holmes is a pretty good backup center or Hassan Whiteside, whichever that is. And like the backup centers in the West are, as you kind of alluded to earlier, are surprisingly good right? without even talking about Montres Harrell. Yeah, it, it's a, I think that's reasonable, but uh, some of those guys aren't really the greatest defensively, which I think is where favors it, brings it up. And, and you just hope that having a defensive anchor like him and more of an offensive group around him, you're going against second units. So you're not going to get killed. Hopefully. De- defensively um the other the second question i have is is uh, there's no signs of it actually you can kind of digest the analytics and look into it and there's no signs this is taking place at all but joe ingles is 33 years old and he's vital to the team's success he's been he's been an incredibly successful piece of this team and as the third ball handler um and the third pick and roll guy and he just does a lot of really important things for this team and he's 33 and, uh, I, again, I, I can't find anything statistically. I have all the metrics I like to look at, like is your steal rate going way down? Is, you know, is your dunk rate going down? Well, his went from three to two, so that doesn't really count as going down. Um, you know, those, what are you trying to find where your show, his shooting's not down? Your rim percentage is going to get less good if you're aging. Well, he shot 74% at the rim last year. He did go to the rim a little less than he ever has in his career, but I, if he slows down, that's a pretty big gap on this team. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because he is, he probably uses physically slowing down as a finisher and change of pace more than just about any other player. I mean, I've, I've always said he's someone that young players should look at as far as his finishing because he has zero athleticism. He still shoots that awesome percentage at the rim just by timing out shot blockers and taking the momentum out of their jump uh, by just being so patient around the rim but yeah i mean i i just i'm more concerned about him again off or defensively i think that's where you know you could put him on small guards a couple of years ago i don't you can't really do that anymore I, I don't think and so you know that's that's one of the you know mike conley is another guy who used to be a really good perimeter defender he's a little bit older donovan has was supposed to be that kind of a guy coming out and other than a little a few possessions on jamal murray in the bubble you know he really has been more of an offensive player he hasn't necessarily taken on that challenge it hasn't gone that well when he's tried to be more of a stopper so i mean the overall perimeter defense is something that i just uh, i think is a big concern for these guys a lot of burden on rudy gobert and Derek favors 
Yeah, I mean, they had two they had two weaknesses they needed to try to look at in the offseason, and they've taken care of one of them, right? So one was second unit defensively uh, when Gobert's off the floor, and they solved that, and the other was overall athleticism, and they probably didn't solve that, and there's probably impossible to solve both in the same offseason. You know, I mean, I heard you and Hollinger on, on Hollinger and Duncan kind of debate the Jazz offseason. I thought you had great point. You know, John was kind of beating up on them a little bit, and, and in the vacuum of John's discussion, I thought John was probably right also, but your point was, hey, they got the best player available and they used their slot. There wasn't, to your point, like, Jay Crowder was probably the, like, and he's not very athletic anymore. There, there, You know, there wasn't an athletic wing that was on the market that you were adding to this roster to become more athletic. Yeah, I mean, Derek Jones Jr. might have been the one guy that you could look at where they maybe could have offered him more money than Portland, but they certainly couldn't offer him more playing time than Portland. You know, he's, they're talking about him starting there. He wasn't going to start for the Jazz. So, and, and I mean, you've got Ingles, you've got Royce O'Neal already in these roles. They weren't going to find someone better than those guys with the mid-level. And so they just didn't have the playing time to offer to a guy like that if you assume that the mid-level was the most they could offer. So I think to get favors, uh, yeah, he might be a little overqualified. Um, that's, and also, as I've said, I don't expect you to comment on this, but if you know Rudy Gobert is not under contract for next year and Derek Favors is, and that's something to consider. Yeah, Derek Jones Jr. is, I'm, you know, basketball geek in me, that's one of the players I'm most interesting to watch because, oh, yeah. because I mean, he's a 28% three-point shooter. Like, he's a great athlete. And Miami plays with all this motion and all this movement and all this stuff, and he's always cutting, he was always slicing, and, and you had... Portland doesn't play that way, right? They play area screen with Dame and CJ and the flares. And and the problem with Mo Harkless and Al Farouk was that they couldn't dribble, they couldn't pass, and they couldn't shoot. And it really slowed down what they did, and they were the low assist rate team because of that. Well, guess what? Derek Jones can't shoot, he can't really dribble, and he can't really pass. So they're kind of back to where they were with him, and I'm pretty curious to see how that works. Yeah, although Robert Covington is a much better shooter than the other of Aminu or Harkless, whoever you want to say that Derek Jones is. He's only 23. I think you know, maybe we'll see if he can make at least a, a corner three. Um, ironically, um, the uh, Blazers podcast, the one I'm doing right after this, so I'll, I'll find out a little bit more about what their thoughts are uh, on his role then. Um, any other kind of things that you're really going to be monitoring this year as that you think can make a big difference in the uh, as variables for the Jazz success or failure? So it's a funny little number, and there's a bunch of little things. I asked him about it today when I talked to him. But, like, Mike Conley scored over 20 seven times in Orlando, okay? Only six times all year before Orlando. Like, that's – so he got a break. He addressed where he was on the team. And so his answer when I asked him about it, he said, hey, certainly Boyan wasn't there, right? So I had to pick up the slack. There was more there. He said, but also, like, I had, he said, it it was, in his mind, it was happening before the bubble. He had come off his hamstring injury the second time and begun to figure out what it was that this team needed from him and what they wanted. And he said, frankly, you know, having the time outside of the bubble, being able to just kind of sit and, and digest it, I was able to understand what I was doing. And I actually went back and looked at the numbers. It's pretty accurate. Like if you look back his final 13 games uh, before the break of the bubble, he averaged 17 points a game. He shot 46% from the floor, 44% from three. Uh, I didn't really, he went over 24 of those. So four of those six times went over the uh, 20 were after February 1st. Like the other way to say the same stat is after February 1st, he went over 20 11 times. He'd only done it twice all year prior. 
So we might see a very different Mike Conley um, this year. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's always tough to know because this is he had a big adjustment period. This is the first time playing with like a real role man who's going to go up and get an alley oop. You know, he was playing with Marcus Sol, more of a a pop man. Uh, then he had the hamstring injury as well. Then he comes back, and you know, he, I completely agree with you that he got better and better as the season went along. And I thought that by the time they reached the bubble, like he was the he became the guy that they traded for. He became the guy that they expected him to be. And so you can say, all right, you know, this his second year in the system, he's going to look better. But obviously, age is a weight pulling in the opposite direction for him. Right. I mean, both he and Ingles are crossed over, but hopefully, the young kids get better. Yeah, I, I mean, that's that's definitely a thought. So. Uh, who else do you see potentially taking a step forward uh, for this group this year? I would think Rudy and Donovan, right? Why do you think Gobert? Because he's gotten better every year, frankly. Uh, despite the absurd ESPN ranking that had him drop half of his ranking points from 14 to 26. Um, yeah, he's they, they, they get out ahead of the young players a little bit sometimes. Yeah, on those. Uh, he's gotten better every year. He's added a little bit. I mean, he's obviously his biggest offensive weakness is if there's somebody between him and the basket, he just can't score. Um you know, he shot 30% outside of five feet, I think, over the last two years. Like, that's just not good enough. Um, but I think you've just he's – he's got – he was better with the ball in his hands getting to the rim. He was better at that last year because he actually got to the rim. Um, he was interesting today when I talked to him. He thought uh, that he could get better defensively. And I think he really actually has gotten better defensively because he's gotten better at getting out on the floor. They were more willing to switch with him last year. He was actually the number one player in the league on isolation, which is a little bit because people post up at isolation. They can't do anything with him. But you know what? He's not a problem if he switches on you at – 30 feet and he's seven nine wingspan he's he's a problem to deal with as a as a player the problem for the jazz has been that when you do that they had no secondary rim defense so the defense fell apart yes i agree with that as well uh but i'm uh yeah this is not a team that has a, a lot of switchability to be sure i i thought we took a little bit of a step backward defensively as far as his rim protection but it is difficult to separate that he was the number two like i just you know me. I love Rudy to death, and I watch him every night, and I just don't think it's true. And it's not true because the Jazz were the only team in the NBA that was in the top five in denying shots at the rim and the top five in denying shots from three. That's only because of Rudy, right? Every other team that denies shots at the rim is allowing a buttload of threes because they're deciding to, to protect the rim. The only team in the league last year in the top five def- denying shots at the rim and denying threes was were the Jazz. You go to shots defended. There were only two players in all of the NBA that were below 51% defending shots, and they were Brooke Lopez and Rudy Gobert. Like, I, I, I don't see it. Like, I, there's no data that show that I have found, and I, and I like my data, that shows that Rudy, the Jazz were less good defending the rim when Rudy Gobert was on the floor last year than other years. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just thinking just subjectively watching him, and that's not to say that he wasn't amazing last year. It's more to just say that I thought he was even more otherworldly before i just thought that it was just a little easier to score on him at the basket as i was starting to say it's it's difficult to separate that between the fact that he was playing with worse defensive players last year than he had been but i you know i didn't i just didn't he had quite the impact in the regular season now i thought he was unbelievable in the series against the nuggets like until those like last couple of buckets that Jokic got in game seven he basically like gave up on posting up on rudy gobert like he was getting nothing and you know, we saw that Jokic was pretty much unstoppable in the post against anybody else that he went against, uh, e- even against the Lakers. Uh, um, so, I mean, I thought he was really, really good 
in the bubble. But yeah, I just, I didn't see like guys who go in and it wasn't just like absolutely no hope. It was a glimmer of hope. Uh, that, that's just my subjective viewpoint on it. Um, Can we go back to one other thing? Yeah. How great is Jokic? What did you say? How great is Jokic? I mean, he's just incredible. Like the shots Jokic made in that series when he, like you're right, he stopped posting up and he still found a way to like, yeah. Like, I had somebody say to me in that series, Jamal Murray is incredible, but Jokic is the problem still. Like, Jokic is just that great. Well, and if he shoots 40% from three, then, yeah, I mean, that was something that he, that was the big difference that he, that he hadn't done. I mean, that was, if he doesn't shoot 40% from three, then, you know, I think he has kind of a rough series, frankly, uh, right. against Gobert, yeah. you know, who was really taking him out of his post-up game and his assist game in a lot of ways. But, yeah, I mean, the fact that he was, and I think a lot of times he just, doesn't look for that shot it's kind of an afterthought but the fact that he was kind of forced into that more and that he didn't have a guilty conscience about taking that shot actually made him make it more that's my theory anyway um so you said donovan mitchell as someone who can get better and obviously he had a historic series against the denver nuggets uh, which was obviously extremely wacky and uh it calmed down by the end but just the overall bubble until the end of the first round had some just crazy levels of of offense so my question is like what is the next step for donovan mitchell how realistic is it that he takes it to really get into being you know a solid all nba level of player especially given the incredible competition at the guard position yeah so the next step is the off the bounce three um and we saw it in the bubble it's not um it's not i think he hit 54 percent in the playoff series against uh if i remember correctly on the off the bounce three or 51 percent. okay he's not going to do that but he did take seven a game, which is a big stretch. And here's, if you look over his three-year career, on the off-the-bounce three, he was 29% his rookie year. He was 32 or 33% each of the next two years. It was It's one or the other. I don't remember exactly. So he's not been a good off-the-bounce three-point shooter. If he can move that... 32 up to 36 or 37. Now it's an efficient shot. He's getting four of them a game. And, and talking to him recently, he said, I got to the foul line so much more against Denver because of the fact I was hitting that off the bounce three that they had to come out of me. And then I was able to get to the rim and draw those fouls. So the, he's got to, he's got to stop with the floater the way he did. He started taking that a little bit too much and that was keeping him off the free throw line. But that might've been because they weren't, they didn't feel a threat to his off-the-bounce three, so they were just dropping back, and he didn't get there. If they're coming out on that, he's getting by them and being able to make that next play, at least the way he's portraying it. So I think that off-the-bounce three may open up his entire game. And if you look at you know similar players, Bradley Beal, Dame Lillard, at the same stage of their career, you see that uptick from 32 to 36% on that shot. Yeah, that's and that obviously was the huge difference. I mean, his shooting performance against Denver was ridiculous. He's not going to be able to shoot like that for an entire season. And also, I mean, Denver's defensive effort earlier in that right. series was frankly pretty pathetic. They, they they got it together, but I mean, the amount of space that he had coming off of those screens, in part because he was hitting the shot and they had to really go over it, and the screen was being set way out high, and then he had all this room to come down downhill and attack. Uh, but you know, I mean, Jokic was really bad early in that series. So I, I, I'm, I think it's going to be a mix, obviously, but that is to me that off the bounce three is the, the step. And then the other thing too, you mentioned the floaters, if he can get to the rim and now you're really forcing that guy off the wing to crash in to help out, uh, then he can start setting up this great spot of three point shooting that they have a, a little bit more. So yeah, the distribution 
you're continuing to get a little bit better with this handle and his pick and roll craft uh but it all does start to me i agree with you with that off the bounce three the one area where donovan also was much better that didn't get noticed because he was scoring at such a rate is he did he was making far better reads at the point guard position um and doing a and a, doing a far better job in the coach's minds of understanding that position than he had in the past yeah. i think they're more comfortable playing with him and with the ball in the hands than than he was in the past yeah and i think having him right at the top of the floor with a few more options off the dribble than trying to attack from the wing i think that works a little bit better for him as well and i think you know just the fact that they had all this shooting around him it just makes it so much easier the other thing i want to see from him though is getting better defensively we mentioned that they don't have really anyone who can be a perimeter stopper royce o'neill is a little undersized but he's probably the guy against your bigger wings i don't expect donovan to guard those guys but if you have a really great pick and roll threat like someone like jamal murray he's not going to guard that guy all the game but at the end of games like he has the athleticism and the length to be that player he was that's the player he was supposed to be coming out of college he's obviously well exceeded expectations but i think that aspect has been lost and so really being able to take on that challenge uh of guarding great point guards and competing to get over screens i think is something he could really improve on uh he you know he said it the other day in a in a zoom call about his uh contract that he signed um and he said you know i i need to get back to being the player i was drafted to be yeah i i couldn't he couldn't have said it better than i completely agree with him um and and they have enough offensive firepower now that he should be able to conserve a little bit of energy and, and put more in like he had such a massive load on the offensive end on some of those early teams man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since 2015 and i think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique matches every sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that hundred night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh... 
<laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Um, right. Let's talk about some of the young guys in this group who haven't come up yet outside of that nine-man rotation that we've talked about. So uh, I want to just kind of go through. I'm going to give you a list of guys and put them in order and how much maybe we expect them to play. Um, we've got Juwan Morgan, Mie Oni, Jarrell Brantley uh, on a two-way. Nigel Williams-Goss is still on this team, right? Uh, and then uh, Elijah Hughes, their, uh, their draft pick. Give me Put those guys in order for me how much you expect them to play. Mia One, Jarrell Brantley, Juwan Morgan. Interesting. Brantley ahead of Morgan. That's for a guy who started games. I know Tony Jones uh, was on your pod last week saying he th- was thinking about maybe starting Juwan Morgan. I know you were... Uh, surprised at that proposal but uh it does surprise me for you to say that Brantley will be a ahead of Morgan but let's start with Oni here what is how do you see him fitting in and what are going to be the factors that will determine how much he can play so the first thing on Oni is I think he can play any of two and a half positions so it just means he has a route to different ways on the floor easier does that make sense um and so you know I think he can play the two or the three and frankly if He's on the floor with Joe, and Joe becomes the point guard. He could be the one, right, while Joe's being the two or the three while ball handling. So I I just think he has a lot of different routes to get on the floor. He's a good defensive player. He is tough as hell, man. He is a competitor, feisty, sometimes too much so. Like, he is is relentless. Um, I think he'll be able to shoot it well. Quinn's offense gets really good looks. Royce O'Neal's uh, shot quality on catch-and-shoot threes is the best of anybody in the NBA over the last three years. So if he's taking those minutes, not that he'd be taking Royce's minutes, but just that similar role in the on the line, on the floor, he's going to get looks that I think he can knock down to an adequate level. Um, and he's just got an NBA body. So those things all play to him. You know, the tricky thing for all these kids last year was that all of them were the number one option uh, particularly Brantley and, and Mione, uh and also Justin Wright Foreman, uh, who are the second-round draft picks here. They were all the number one options at their s- small school that they went to, and so they had to learn how to narrow-focus their game instead of widen their game, which is a really probably much more difficult process. And so when, once they had to do that, you know, I think Mione has figured out how to do it. The Jazz used the bubble, I thought, really intelligently because seating didn't really matter because there was no home court advantage. So they used those games to try to get time in an NBA setting that would never be replicated with an understanding that summer league, you know, wasn't about was about to not happen. And so Oni and Brantley, I thought really stepped forward in that little stretch. It's not a lot of minutes, Nate, but it's it's a lot when you consider the other choice was like zero and there was no summer league. And so I thought they did a good job. I mean, I think if you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Mia played 25 or more in three or four games and just was able to kind of get his feet under him. And I thought he was fine. He averaged like eight points a game in that stretch and he was perfectly good. And I think Jarrell, uh, if you want me to continue on any thought on that before well, I add. To yeah. Jarell. Only I, I, you know, I think he, if he can shoot the ball, he's got NBA athleticism. And so as long as he can make some shots and defend and not screw up, uh, I think there, there is a potential role for him. And, and I could start on Brantley. I mean, I, the game that they played against the Spurs I actually did that one for NBA League Pass, uh, you know, and that was a game where a, a lot of 
you know, second and third unit guys were playing, but I was very impressed with Brantley. I knew little about him. He'd been on a two-way. He hadn't played much for the Jazz, if at all, but, you know, to be 250, pretty good feet, his jump shot, I mean, I know that's been a, a focus for him, but the form looked totally solid. I know he's got this ball handling skill, which, you know, I think has been a focus of his game before. As you mentioned, that's something that's probably not going to be something that they're going to look for him to do other than maybe the occasional grab and go or, or pass. But, I mean, if you can shoot the ball and you've got that type of strength and you can move your feet decent length, like, I really like those bones uh, for a guy who could be valuable. So I don't know if he's going to be able to shoot it well enough. Yeah. Like, that's the question. You know what he's going to you know play? Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, like the toughest job there is. But, like, yeah. if you look at your roster, that's the gap, right? Yep. The gap on this roster is we just don't have somebody who's big, physical, strong, and athletic to play those guys. I know this. If you're listening to this and you're like, what is Locke talking about? How is How are you possibly telling me that this guy I've never heard of out of the College of Charleston is going to play the best guys in the world? That's the gap on this roster right now. And so I, I know it sounds insane, and I'm not saying he's going to do it for like a long period of time. But I do actually think that that's like I think that's going to end up being his role. Like I think he's going to two way guy. You got, you know when we who do we you know we play early in the year third third game of the year fourth game of the year it's the Clippers like I, I suspect he'll be active that game. Do I, I suspect he'll be active in San Antonio against Demar Derozan? I think he might be active against Brooklyn against Kevin Durant. Right like early he might be. He might be active January 8th against Milwaukee and Giannis. Like, I think he'll, he might get some minutes early in the year. The question is whether he can knock down that shot. Yeah. And, I, you know, he seems like kind of maybe like okay from the corners, not that great above the break, like that kind of guy at this point. But his form doesn't look broken to me. I mean, from what I, but my best recollection, I know we've seen a lot of basketball since then, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, obviously you, you being around the team more, you'd have a better idea of that. And, and then Jawan Morgan is an interesting guy. I mean, I, he seems like the kind of guy that the coaching staff loves. He's got some switchability, um, you know, working on the corner three. Again, not really an above the break guy at this point, you know, other than rebounding. I'm not really sure what his NBA offensive role is, but as kind of like a, you know, poor man's version of Paul Millsap defensively was kind of how I saw him. Uh, the, the idea of him at least and he started some games next to Rudy Gobert when uh, Mike Conley was out and he did okay John Morgan's really interesting if you go back and get to last year he's like on an exhibit 10 so anybody can pick him up and the Jazz like really quickly if you go back through that year sign him to a deal right like kind of a stunningly early move they their coaching staff clearly saw saw something I think they signed him on November 21st so Right, like a pretty early signing. They saw something very early in can in G League play that said to them, "Oh, this guy can play in the NBA, and he, you know, and and if we don't do something, someone else is going to go put him on a two way or grab him." So that that's someone they clearly saw they like. He's he's older. So all these guys are. They're all twenty three. Yeah. All four college players. Um, and so they that's clearly someone they see. Uh, the the only reason I didn't include Juwan Morgan ahead of Jarrell Brantley. And I could, you know, and and I, I mean, honestly, Nate, like we're talking about probably 150 yeah. minutes a year and one's going to play 180. Like I, I, so the number, I just like Juwan Morgan's got to play in front of Derek Favors. Like that's not going to happen. Juwan Morgan plays in front of George Niang. Like George Niang can really shoot it. Like Jarrell Brantley can do something considerably different than the players he would be, that would be playing those minutes instead. 
And so I can see where they might use him. But that's not to say that I think that, you know, Jarrell Brantley is a better player than Juwan Morgan or a better prospect. I just was kind of going off the idea yeah. that there's a natural I, I just think on these young guys you gotta find a route. Like you know, it's a little bit like on the jazz draft pick of Azabuke and every you know, right now it's hard to find a route for him. I don't think he'll play much, but on the same time I was like, Well what about Desmond Bain? Yeah, well, he's not like you would have had to decide he's dramatically better than Oni, and I, I don't know that he is. Maybe he'll turn out to be. But when you're making that selection, it's probably not abundantly clear, and you're not going to be able to develop two of them at the same time. I think Morgan has a better path than Brantley because I see Favors having to sit some games out, and I think that Morgan makes more sense in a backup big man role than Azubuke, just because Azubuke is going to be just it, i mean all these rookies are almost drawing dead this year with oh, just, just no chance they have no chance yeah and particularly as a big man quarterback of the defense you know and he's he's got some things to work on as far as like his movement defensively as well you know he can come in and crush some dunks and, and get on the glass but it, so i think morgan you know and just and, and they used him in a backup center role as well they tried to at least uh when tony bradley wasn't working out in the denver series didn't go much better but i think if you have to break glass in case of emergency for a center, I think it'll, it'll be sure. Morgan. Well, yeah, I mean, Brantley's only like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, despite being 250. One note on Favors. Um, he played 77 and 76 games the last two years in Utah. Like, he and that medical staff have something together. It might be a large reason why Derek Favors wanted to return to Utah. Hmm. That makes sense. Uh, I hope that's the case, certainly. But just as a guy who has chronic back and, and knee issues... Uh, I'm I'm just a little worried about it. Uh, yeah, personally. and there, you know, New Orleans medical staff has a unique reputation. Um, yeah, although they did get Aaron Nelson, and and supposedly were that that was going to be improved, but you know, I don't know if they've gotten there yet. Shaq Harrison, they signed too. I guess he could bring in. He does add that element of just like elite perimeter defense. Although obviously his shooting is a problem. Maybe the Jazz feel like they can develop him, and he's going to just get such wide open looks that maybe he can make enough of them to be out there i don't know much about jack harrison i can tell you what all the people like texted today and they told me about him but i would be a total 100 percent liar if i claimed a lot of knowledge on jack harrison yeah well what'd they say uh all right give me one second let me pull up the phone and i will read various <laughs> texts that i won't say who they're from uh various people around the league either reporters or scouts who've watched a lot of them let me see what i can find here uh here's an example for you it said, a relentless physical and quick defender. He just never stops. Nothing phases him. Tireless. Has worked very hard on the offensive game. Jumper's still a bit wonky, but he started making it. A rotation player for sure. Uh, and one of the all-time nicest people. Yeah, well, Hollinger's going to boost the, the, the Jazz offseason grade up a ton now. He, he loves the, his defensive Hollinger's guards. Jazz hater. Just kidding. Yeah, well, he, he likes he likes the the people who follow the Jets. That's the or or who uh who report on the Jets. That's the important thing. Okay. Uh, so let let's transition here now. Um, who's going to close games for these guys? Any combination of seven or any combination of eight? Yeah. I yeah. mean, all right. So Donovan's closing and Rudy's closing, and now pick your pick what matches on that given night, right? If they got big guards and Mike and Donovan can't play together, then Mike might not close. They've got guards where Mike can close, and you're certainly going to close with Mike. If you need, you know, Joe, Joe closes some, Boyan closes some, Faves closes some, and if you need a defender, you're probably putting Royce out there. The one that gets me, and I missed on this so badly last year, I was convinced the lineup of Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles, Boyan Bogdanovich, and Rudy Gobert was unguardable. I thought you got four 40% three-point shooters with the best rim roller in the league. Like, how can that fail? 
And it totally did. So I, I don't know what lineup and Quinn's strength is kind of figuring out which ones to often go with, but the lineup that I thought last year would be great was minus seven. So, <laughs> you know, uh, he, here's what's interesting last year. He, here's here's the one thing I do think is interesting about this team. Um, so if you take the lineups that, you know, you take all the guys that are gone, right? So Emmanuel Moutier, let's say we're not going to have George Niang out to close, right? You're not going to have Jarrell Brantley. Jeff Green's gone. You start getting rid of, like, all of the guys that you're not going to have on the floor at the end of the game, and you look at the remaining lineup. So obviously at this point we're, you know, we're not taught. I've eliminated Derek Favors, but I've got, you know, I've got pretty good players, you know, the, the core seven guys left, plus 15, plus 11, plus 11, plus 19, plus 18. Those are the lineups. Yeah, I mean, I think this could be a pretty good regular season team. Um, I I think it's a little more. Oh, I, I, forgot, good, I, forgot, I forgot minus seven. That's the yeah yeah the your uh... my, my line. So let, let me make sure I didn't do that very well. There's five core lineups that played a lot together. Yeah, Donovan, Royce, Boyan, Joe, Rudy plus fifteen. Mike, Donovan, Royce, Boyan, Rudy plus eleven. Donovan, Jordan, Royce, Boyan, Rudy plus eleven. Mike, Donovan, Rudy, Joe, Rudy or whatever. Plus nineteen, and then mine is minus seven. I mean, the key is Rudy. Like, you, the fact is, if you put anyone with Rudy, we're great. Every single player that's ever been next to Rudy is plus eight or plus eight. Like, go look at it. The only one that was it was Derek Favors three years ago, but before that, he was plus eight or more. But Tabo plus eight, Jonas plus eight. Like, these are not good players. Jay Crowder plus eight. You put Rudy next to someone, we're plus eight. He's great. So. I, I see it a little bit more limited in terms of the closing lineup than you do. I, I think it's going to be, in most circumstances, it's going to be Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Boyan, and Rudy all out there. And that fifth spot is the one that I think will be a little bit more matchup dependent. I mean, maybe it's Clarkson if he really has it going and the other team doesn't have any kind of a good small forward. I think more likely, though, it's between Ingles and Royce O'Neal, and it just depends on if Ingles can guard the other team's three, then it's Ingles. If you need Royce O'Neal to guard him, or there's maybe a smaller guy that uh, Conley and Donovan can't handle, then uh, you know to go with O'Neal would, would be my thought on it, which was kind of how it was last year. But I just I, I don't see you know Clarkson closing games over Mike Conley very often, for example. Yeah, I mean, it depends on the matchups. I mean, they're perfectly comfortable with any of those eight guys closing. So yeah, I mean, and they're all pretty good players. Big strengths for this team that we haven't talked about yet. Well, I've talked about. I don't go this long without talking about Rudy. So that's <laughs> you know, and Donovan's gonna and Donovan's emerging to be great. I mean, that's this is that's what this team is like. You're we can we can disguise it all we want, but you're putting Rudy. You know, you've got the the best defensive player in the world who alters and bends the defensive floor in a manner that no other player in the league can, and you've got an emerging offensive star with the best rim roller in the league. So when you put those two together, that's, that's, and then you've got great shooting, right? They're the number one shooting team in the league. So, you know, that's, that's who they are. Yeah. I think at least during the regular season, this offense is one, I mean, you mentioned how good they were. And I think it was one of those things where, you know, I, I always call this the Matt Barnes rule because I remember one year with the Clippers, the first two weeks of the season you know he was shooting like 19 percent from three and people are like oh matt barnes is awful they have to get rid of him and then you look down at the end of the year and he shot 37 percent or something that year like the whole jazz offense was kind of matt barnes ruled over the first month of the season and then they just got going like crazy and they started hitting the shots and uh that they were generating and not quite as many mid-rangers and and conley got found his footing a little bit as you mentioned in february so i mean this statistically 
this is a really, really good offense. Do they have like the one guy at the end of games who's at like the absolute elite level? You know, I'm not sure about that. Do they have that in the playoffs against an elite defense? I'm not sure about that. But in this regular season, with all the pick and rolls they run, the continuity they have, the coaching, I expect this offense to be very, very difficult to guard. Uh, I don't have this in front of me. Wasn't Donovan one of the top five clutch players in the NBA last year? Uh, those are pretty noisy statistics. I, I would be, uh, when it really gets down to like scoring in an isolation, you know, no, I wouldn't have him as like one of the top 10 options in the league at the end of games, personally. Okay. I mean, that that's, it's a hell of a list to get. I mean, there are some great, great players in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how else to like, right. I mean, I'm watching Donovan's progression over three years and I, I don't disagree with you that clutch numbers are noisy, but I'm watching his progression over three years. You know, they, they turned it over to him every night late and i thought he was pretty good at it last year yeah and uh, you know the two years before that i think the jazz underperformed their point differential a little bit too i i'm just it's it's much more of a subjective consideration for me but uh, you know i think that i don't think they're like a bad clutch team or, or anything like that uh or, or but I, I do think they're just a, an offense that they don't have at least as of now a top 10 <laughs> offensive player in the league maybe donovan mitchell will get there but yeah, just, he's just got back, some work to do still to just back. to back it up Do, just so I, I looked it up donovan hit the fourth most amount of field goals in the clutch of anyone in the nba last year of those top four he took more free throws than anybody but chris paul he was third in the league in free throw free throws made um so he was fourth in the league in clutch field goals made and third in the league in free throws made in the clutch yeah, that's those are good stats uh and if it continues this year i i will probably take uh maybe a different tack next year no, I mean, you're you those those stats are noisy, but they're not that noisy in the sense that, like, if I were to ask you the kind of best clutch players in the league, like, those guys are all there, right? Like, they're, you know, if you, you name the, the top guys, I think those would be the guys you would mention. Well, Maybe. for example, Luka Doncic just had, like, a really rough year in the clutch last year, and I would take him over Donovan Mitchell at the end of the game. Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, I mean Luka's great, but... You know, seven of forty-one from three last year, I think, is what he was in the clutch. Is a little interesting, right? Like, is there something to yeah. that? Like, you know, and what you know, I think Luke is amazing. Don't misunderstand me. But what was the the one concern on Luca was his ability to beat people one on one when he came in, right? That was like the reason he slit like wasn't drafted one. It's an asinine reason, but that was the reason. Well, maybe that gets exposed a little bit at that stage, right? Like, I don't, I don't know, but that. That was, you know, that was the feeling of him coming out. You know, yeah. DeMar Rosen, who's a flipping, you can criticize all you want, but when the mid-range jumper's not a problem late in the game, he buries him. He's he's probably, you know, as good a clutch player as there is in the game. And same thing with Chris Paul at 50%. And that's where Donovan picked up his game a good deal last year. The Donovan free throws late is an interesting one. He really upped his game a great deal. Any other strengths we should talk about for these guys? No, I don't think so. Am I missing one? Uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, the depth, we talked about that already. Um... Yeah, and we talked about the shooting already. I mean, coaching is is solid, although I I, was, I thought Quinn wasn't at his absolute best in the bubble, but generally, it, or even the, over the course of last year, it took him some time, I think, to find his footing with this group, but I generally view that as, as an advantage. Um, how about weaknesses? I mean, I think we touched on that. It's not an athletic group, right? They're not going to spread you. They're not going to do what Miami, you know, you might, you look at Miami's zone and you say, oh, they should play some zone. They, Yeah, they don't have that, like, long athleticism. Uh, to cover that kind of space, um, so I, you know, I think that's it, and I think the age of Conley and and Ingles will be interesting to monitor. Yeah, and proven depth as well in a season where depth may be more important 
than ever. You have eight guys who are really good, and maybe eight and a half with Niang, but then below that, uh, if you have an injury or guys have to sit out, you know, then you are going to some unproven players. But that's going to yeah, be a lot I, of teams. I don't think there's any. I mean, I think they're the deepest team this side of the Lakers in the Western Conference. I mean, they got eight guys who can play 25 minutes or more. The only other team in the West that has that might be pe- the Pelicans, actually, if you believe Jackson Hayes is ready for that. Otherwise, there's not another team. Maybe, maybe the Clippers, um, depending where you think on some of their guys right now. But, um, you know, they got eight guys who can play 25, 28 minutes a night. That's about as deep as you can get. Not many people. And I don't think there's. If there, if anyone other than the Lakers is deep nine through thirteen, let me know. Yeah, I'm. Uh, you can count me as not a Jackson Hayes believer at this point. Uh, I'm trying to think if there are any other weaknesses that stick out to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I would just say, and you're going to be mad at me for this, but I mean, when you're talking about this team being a true contender, star power. I still don't think that they have a top ten player in the NBA on this team, and. They have a lot of good players, and, and that helps. But, you know, if you're going to go up against the Lakers and Anthony Davis or the Clippers and Kawhi Leonard, like, they don't have a player on that level. And those are the players that usually, you know, take you to the conference finals or the championship. Oh, I'm not going to get mad at you for that. I mean, you look at the ESPN Top 100 list, the Jazz in, in the West, the Jazz, the Clippers had both had five. The Lakers had six. Um, actually, I think the Pelicans might have had five, too. They were the only teams with five players in the Top 100, but the Jazz didn't have anyone higher than, than 18. And so that's the, you know, that's absolutely, that's the, that's the piece that, you know, I think Rudy's much higher than 26, obviously. I'm pretty clear on that. Um, Donovan has got to move himself from, from 18 to, to 11. And that's a hard jump. That's, you know, that's jumping over CP3 and Joel Embiid and Bam out of Bayou and Jimmy Butler and, um, and, and equaling yourself to Jason Tatum. Like that's a, that's a big step. Yeah, defensive versatility. I think you could throw, that ties in with the athleticism uh, of you know switching. They can't really do that uh, with some of the guys that they have. You know, Rudy can get out on the floor personally, but if he does that, then you don't have that backup rim protector in most of their lineups. So uh, I think if you're you know the Rudy again did an awesome job against Nikola Jokic as best as you possibly could, but still you know stretch five is going to cause some problems for their base defense. So particularly when you get into the playoffs, I think they're a little bit limited as far as the different types of things that they can do defensively, even if their base scheme with Gobert is obviously quite effective. I don't think they live by this, but if they have to, they go to favors under that and is he able to handle it? That'll be interesting to see. All right. Uh, I know that you eschew predictions, but I'm going to give you my process behind my prediction and put it out there. And uh, I encourage you to quibble with it. So a season ago, the Utah Jazz were 44 and 28. They did kind of take it easy, shall we say? They they developed uh, in the bubble, uh, but they were actually you know they won about three games more than expected. Even so, per cleaning the glass, or I should say, they were on pace to win about three games more than would have been expected. They had the point differential of a 47 win team over an 82 game season, and they were on pace to win 50 even with uh, those bubble struggles. Um, so. I think they're going to be better than that this year. Uh, I think that they, I like this team a lot during the regular season. I think they're going to be a very difficult to stop offense. They've got the continuity that a lot of teams don't have. So the lack of a training camp isn't that much of a problem. They got a lot of vets who are smart, who aren't going to screw up. um, They have enough depth to deal with one injury. Maybe two gets to be a little bit dicey. Mitchell and Gobert, both of them never get hurt lately. I mean, Gobert has had some injuries early in his career, but it's, he's basically made it through three straight years now 
perfectly healthy. So uh, I think that this group, I'm going to go, I think they're a 52-win team over the course of 82 games. Um, And offensively, you know, I see them kind of being in the lower end of the top 10 when you look at the the aggregate performance. And then defensively, I kind of have them right around that level uh, as well. So, you know, kind of in the 6 to 10 range on both ends. And that gets you to a low 50-win team. So 52 games over the course of a... 82 game season so that would be 46 wins this season in 72 games such a weird thing i mean you knock off 13 percent of the schedule right the sample size just gets a little smaller um you know it's miami last year right was it miami about eighth offensively and ninth defensively that's kind of what you described last year it was miami they won 60 percent of their games last year yeah they're a little bit worse than that uh on defense i think but um I, I, what do you if if i'm thinking what do you think of those projections for them uh, on offense and defense yeah, I, I I think the number one deep offense from December 24th to March 11th is a little skewed because they didn't play some of the best teams. So if you bring that down to three, four, five, you're probably in an accurate area um, if they can shoot it as well as they did last year. Um, and then they were, what, about 11th defensively last year? And so, you know, but they were really bad in those minutes without without – Rudy Gobert. So does that get him up to eight? I mean, that's a really good basketball team. Um, and maybe they're that good. I I, um, I don't have a feel. I, I also would say I, I just think it's so closely put together from maybe three through nine. Oh, yeah. Um, that I just have a hard time kind of trying to wrap my head around projecting anything here. I I think the Clippers are a little better than people are giving them credit for. I think the Clippers are being too negatively discussed for their problems last year. I actually think the Lakers, who are great, might come back down in the regular season and move into that. Hollinger and I agreed on that, or disagreed on that today. I thought they're actually going to be pretty good, and he he felt the opposite. We, we talked about that a lot on uh, the Locked On Network's Hollinger and Duncan podcast, available uh, anywhere you listen to your podcast. I like that. Um, is that uh, were you talking about the Lakers in that? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I had a brief moment today of optimism. I was driving and I was like, "Gosh, could we like play for the number one seed? Like the Lakers fall back, and all of a sudden, you know, we're up there with the Clippers playing for the number one seed? Eh, maybe. I, I think it's quite possible. Uh, um, I, I think there's really, you know, if I'm wrong about the Lakers, then you know, I think the Jazz has a, a decent enough chance. I mean, I could construct an argument for probably six teams, seven teams that. Maybe everything goes right and they could be the number one seed in the regular season. The only area where I'm really different than everybody else, and I'm, you know, I don't have any expertise in this, sense, so it could be crazy wrong. I actually think the teams that played the longest in the bubble have an advantage coming back, not a disadvantage. With everybody kind of quarantined and workouts being different and not people not having their regular run, the fact that they were at elite physical performance most recently, I think, is an advantage to those teams. So I think the Denver, the Boston, the LA, the Miamis that were most recently at their physical peak performance might start better than other teams. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I mean, it definitely seems like LeBron in particular is just, especially after they won the championship, he just was not really happy about having to start this early and his early season performance could reflect that potentially or the amount that he plays early in the season. But some of these other teams, particularly some of the younger ones like a Boston, for example, or, or Denver, it, I agree with you on those teams. So we'll see. Those guys, you know, that LeBron guy is pretty committed to greatness. So we'll see what he does. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for him to actually get out there and uh, <laughs> and uh, not be fantastic. Um, 
best case scenario for these guys we talked about it i think the, the absolute best case scenario they could get the number one seed this could be a 57 win type of team and uh best case, you ready here's best case scenario number yeah. one seed they get home court the virus is the virus has been quelled by the um vaccine they can fill back up vivant arena with the most raucous fans who haven't been able to cheer for 12 months the home court advantage and altitude becomes real and having the number one seed becomes a mammoth advantage for the jazz there you go there's your best case scenario yeah and so i I think 57 and i I could see this team i don't know if they can be a top five defense anymore just the, the perimeter is uh is a little porous but you know you could see them being seventh on defense and they're you know, they are top four offense. You know, I could see them getting to that type of a level potentially. Yeah. That would that'll be fun. I'll be I'll be up for calling that. I'm all, that'll be fun. On the worst case though, you know, I think age just starts to set in a little bit and, and you know, Donovan Mitchell is kind of what he was last year. He doesn't necessarily take a huge step forward and Mike Conley and Joe Ingles fall off a little bit and Derek Favors struggles with injuries. They they struggle as much on the second unit as they did last year because of that. And you know, I could see it falling into kind of like a 45-46 win type of range over uh, over an 82-game season, which would be, do some math here, 40 wins overall. But so kind of right on the playoff borderline. Yeah, you know, as long as they've had Rudy, they've never had that problem. So I'd be surprised. Now that's the, the worst case scenario is something happens to Rudy. Yeah, I mean, he he's the even more so than Mitchell. He's the one guy that's irreplaceable because they have other guys who can create at least a little bit. Like I think... Quinn could cobble together a decent offense with the shooting and, and ball handling that they have if Mitchell missed some time. Right. I mean, they went to the second round of the playoffs with Rudy and Gordon, and then they went to the second round of the playoffs with Donovan and Rudy. And so Rudy was the common thread between those two. Yeah. Although they at least have favors. That, that would be a little bit of insurance. Do you think Rudy's going to play fewer minutes this year? No. Interesting. I mean, I, I've never seen him look fatigued on the floor, and he's great, so I wouldn't see why you would do that. That's probably the thing that's most underrated about him is just what incredible condition he's in. The most underrated thing about him is how hard he practices every day. Hmm. In addition to that, but no, you know, I'm fortunate enough. I usually, until this year, I got to see that. He practices very hard every day and picks up the level of everyone else around him. Um, Last question for you here. What are you most looking forward to in this season? Like, what are you just excited about, generally about jazz basketball this year? Oh, I think Donovan, Donovan has a joy to the game. It's always a pleasure to watch him. Um... You know, Joe Ingles faking to Derek Favors for their first basket of the year as they reconnect has kind of been always a fun Utah thing that maybe most people don't know about, but those two have always been pretty well connected. That will be fun. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know how, honestly, I don't know how I'll do it this year, but like one of my most favorite parts about being with this team and this job is like I watch Quinn prepare for a game and have a unique game plan and watch it work. And it's just incredible how much that this staff puts together incredible game plans. So, you know, Hopefully I'll have enough access to know that that's happening the way I have in the past and get to see that again because that's a pretty cool moment every year. All right, well, looking forward to the season of Jazz Basketball and seeing if these guys could take a, another step forward. And obviously, David's podcast, if you love the Jazz, is I'm sure you know about it already, but uh, Locked on Jazz and uh, the overall Locked on Network, you're on the Locked on NBA podcast. Was Is that Wednesdays or Thursdays? Thursdays. Yeah, with uh, Ben Golver. Is he still doing that? Yep, was hanging out. Ben and I hang out, chat basketball every Wednesday night, Thursday. It airs Thursday. Yeah, and obviously you can catch David on uh, League Pass if you're driving, listen to a, a jazz game, unless uh, Danny and I are also doing the uh, that League Pass game. Yeah, when uh, you violate all our broadcast rights and the league lets you, I don't know about that. <laughs> no, no, we're actually we're legit. 
We're we're like actually through NBA League Pass. I know, as I'm saying, as you violate all of our rights, and the league lets you. I don't know about that. Well, well, don't don't worry about it. In in Utah, you actually you can't listen to us if it's a Jazz okay. game. So you're uh, you're safe. You got you got the monopoly. It's the only thing that's propping you guys up at this point. There we go. You, you, you might lose like forty or fifty uh, viewers. Be, it'd be tough. You'd never survive. <laughs> uh, keep up the great work. Both you and Danny do a great job, and uh, I always enjoy it. Thanks so much for listening to this free preview of Dunked on Prime Total Access. A reminder, we are having our preseason sale 35% off when you buy a year membership to Dunked on Prime Total Access. Get it now as the sale ends when the season starts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.